Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Blaine. And today we're going to talk about your work and your identity with our special guest, Neatu Bensi Enschil. That name may ring a bell. That's because Neatu has been on our show before. He's a holistic career coach who helps ambitious professionals of color successfully navigate their job search while remaining authentic to themselves. Neatu holds master's level training in mental health counseling, allowing him to provide holistic support by creating space for the personal, professional, and psychological in his work with clients. He has over five years of experience as the senior career advisor at Ivy Exec, an online professional development platform where he provided job search, resume, and career guidance to over 5,000 global clients, spanning mid-career professionals up to the C-suite executives across a number of industries. Niatu earned his Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Hamilton College and holds an MA and Ed Master's degree in Psychological Counseling from Teachers College, Columbia University. His early career roles included stints as an HR analyst at Merrill Lynch and an associate recruiter in executive search at Isaacson Miller. Niatu was born in London, raised in New York City, finished high school in Accra, Ghana, and spent a full year studying abroad in Paris. He's a husband, a father to a wonderful nine-year-old girl, and a frustrated but passionate Arsenal fan. He joins us from East Orange, New Jersey. Niatu, welcome back to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike and Lisa, for having me back. Uh, clearly, I didn't stink up the place last time, so <laughs> I appreciate uh, being invited back as uh, your, your house guest. I look forward to you know, re-engaging with everybody and jump into this conversation. Um, my intro sounds super long. My bio, maybe I need to shorten that. <laughs> but thank you for reading all of that. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Hey, you're a pretty special guy. It's our pleasure to have you back. And I'm okay using the oxygen in my room a little more than necessary to get the bio out. <laughs> yeah, it's Good really stuff, interesting stuff. too. So we're really excited to get into this topic with you today. Before we get into it, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your career journey and what brought you to the point that you're at now? Yeah, sure. So weaving a bit more connective tissue between you know what uh, Mike had shared already about my career uh, path to date. Um, going all the way back just to, you know, uh, say where I, my origin story is, I thought I wanted to be a uh, psychologist my senior year of high school. That's kind of what kicked everything off for me. Um, what's always been true for me is that I'm someone that people feel comfortable talking to, uh, getting advice from, and uh, I seem to be able to create space and make people feel safe. And that's something that's been true for me since I was, you know, in middle school, essentially. Um, and so somehow that led me to thinking that maybe psychology could be a path for me um, you know, in the future. Upon graduating with a psychology degree, I had no clue what I wanted to do with that. I didn't know what the next step was beyond going to grad school for a PhD. And I knew I was not ready for that in any way, shape or form. Um, so to all the young listeners out there, make best friends with the Career Center and use all the resources there. Um, the reason I got that first job at Merrill Lynch is because I did a alumni interview program through the Career Center. I spoke to a gentleman who was a high ranking HR guy at Merrill Lynch at the time. We had a good conversation. I honestly thought nothing more of it after I spoke with him. Uh, it was helpful, but I didn't know what to do with that next. He passed my resume on to a recruiter at Merrill Lynch and I got a phone call and I got an interview and then I got a job without me having any sense of working in HR, any sense of working on Wall Street or anything like that. And so the connections you make, you never know where it's gonna to lead to. And that's what got me my first job out of school. Uh, the second job I got out of school is because I met a woman at a soccer game at Hamilton. Her son played on the team. I was working the sidelines. We got in the conversation. Um, well, so I'm not working the sidelines, walking along the sidelines, because if I was a flagman, that would not be good. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were watching the game, and we struck a conversation, shared about my major, uh, shared what some of my career ambitions or thoughts were at the time. And she let me ask me if I knew what executive search was. And I said, no, I have no idea. Uh, had a good chat about that. I made a good enough impression on her that she asked me to send her my resume. I did interview job offer and I got that job, both job offers my senior year. I chose Merrill Lynch and after leaving Merrill Lynch, I went to Isaacson Miller, which was the executive search firm after that. And so essentially I landed my first two jobs out of college while a senior in college mm. um, and just do connections and keeping in touch. And so uh, for all those listening, you never know what can happen through conversation, uh, through a connection. So just be as open as you can. 
and uh, keep in touch to the best of your ability because you never know where that will lead you. What I discovered going through those first two jobs, they were great opportunities. I'll never knock them. They were good formative experiences, but I realized that my heart wasn't really in what I was doing. I wanted that one-to-one impact and connection in my work. That's what led me to go back to grad school um, for my degree in mental health counseling. Um, and in that program, that's when I stumbled onto or discovered uh, career development and career coaching because of a career development class in my major uh, that led to an internship at a career counseling center within the university. Uh, that university had a unique model. All the senior staff were PhD levels uh, counseling psychologists. So that's what turned me on to my holistic view of career coaching. Uh, because I was taught to deal with the whole individual and ask, well, who's in your family and what careers in your family before I even asked them what their major was or what they intended to do post-graduation. Um, and so that led me uh, after that to working in higher ed in a career uh, center uh, after I graduated my, my master's. Um, and then I was managing co-op internship program in that role. And then uh, through the magic of LinkedIn, I was recruited through LinkedIn, wasn't really actively looking. Um, and so I'm a testament to that being a real thing. Uh, I got this opportunity to work for uh, Ivy Exec because a recruiter found my profile, thought it might be a good fit. And then that allowed me to transition to Ivy Exec where I really got the bulk of my experience when it comes to direct uh, career coaching mm. uh, support, working with, as you said, mid to senior level executives, uh, provided on the spot, you know, feedback, diagnosis, triaging, uh, resume reviews and all of that uh, with a bit of sales and learning how to sell resume coaching services. Um, and so that is sort of the backstory that led me to where I am now. So actually it's about 10 years in the career development field. I graduated in 2011 uh, from my master's degree, which feels like forever ago at this point, <laughs> um, kind of dating myself, you know, I'm starting to feel old, um, but not really. Um, but uh, I ended up having to leave Ivy Exec, which is my last full-time opportunity uh, for personal reasons. Life happens, had to take a, st a step back and resign. And I would be in that category of accidents entrepreneur in that I didn't have a plan to start my coaching business, uh, but life happened and I happened to have a skill that I could fall back upon that could create a business. And so uh, in May of 2019, Avenue Careers was born. Um, and then we're here two years later and I'm very grateful to be on your podcast. I've built relationships. I found uh, a level of validation and community amongst other coaches. Uh, my name is starting to get out there more and more. I'm just really grateful to be doing something that feels really aligned with who I am and what I care about. And the most important thing uh, to take away is that I thought I wanted to be a psychologist and as a senior in high school. I'm not doing that right now, but I picked up skills along the way and training that relate to that. I'm using it to do something that got me to the one-on-one -on -one impact I've been looking to make uh, ever since I finished undergrad and what I thought I wanted to do in high school. What a great story. Wow. And yeah, so many examples of things that we tell our clients all the time to do, right? Network, reach out to people, just put yourself out there. And it's really cool to hear how it's all worked out for you. It's been a ride. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some bumps along the way, but yeah, you know, I finally feel like I'm in the right place and I'm just trying to enjoy it and make the most of it at this time. That's awesome. awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. There's some a lot of insights just in that first answer you gave. We're going to get into some more questions, but that I definitely encourage our listener to just kind of listen to the finer points that you just shared there. There's a lot of lessons. So this topic, the topic for this episode kind of spawns from a LinkedIn post that you wrote um, several weeks ago at the point that we're releasing this show at. You were commenting on kind of how critical folks can be when it comes to looking at the green open to work sash that people can attach to their LinkedIn profile pictures. Can you kind of revisit that post and that comment? Because it, it got a lot of attention and it got us thinking about doing this show. Yeah. Um, on the attention piece, just sidebar, that was viral for me. It's the first thing I've written that's gotten that many views. It's all, it's almost, a, it's a 29,000 views um, on LinkedIn and I've never had wow. anything get that widely viewed before. So that was really, really cool for me cool. uh, just on that note. Um, but as far as the actual content of that post, um, 
I had heard a lot of, you know, a bit of discussion here and there about a negative stigma associated with people having the green uh, open to work uh, sash or banner on their LinkedIn profile. And I was curious as to why that was the case, if LinkedIn created the tool in the first place to enable people to connect more quickly with opportunity, why would it be seen as a negative? Mm. And so I started thinking about it more and I realized that it's not that the sash on its own is negative, it's the underlying assumptions that people attach to it. And that was the premise of my post. Um, I was saying that, you know, that I took issue with these assumptions and these two assumptions were number one, if you're out of work, uh, you're less attractive to employers. And secondly, uh, if you use this frame, you look desperate. And so I said, why? <laughs> and that, that's the beginning of the thought process and being in the post. I want to interrogate these assumptions and why we even allow them to exist. And basically, it's, we're allowing a negative value judgment to be attached to the fact that someone's saying, hey, raising their hand, I'm looking for a job. And so if you dig a level beneath that, why is it negative to be in a position to have to look for a job? What does that say about the values that we attach to being employed versus unemployed? And then if you flip that, does that mean you are devalued when you're unemployed? And the answer right now seems to be yes. Um, and so the open to work banner would indicate to some, there might be an assumption that you're unemployed and therefore if you're unemployed, you are under, you are less valuable. And then if you say you're unemployed, I'm looking for a job, then you're desperate. And that's just not cool. It's not necessary. And it puts people in this, uh, unfortunate position where they are digging out of stigma just to get themselves back into the workforce and find, you know, gainful employment, whatever that looks like for them. Um, and very quickly, I, I try, I compared the job search to dating, which is an often done thing. And I noted that, you know, we're all on dating, people use dating apps. And in that realm, everyone is openly looking for a partner um, and there's no stigma attached to it, right? We don't mm -hmm. say everyone who's on a dating site is desperate or less valuable by dint of being on a dating site. And so if you transfer that logic to LinkedIn, why is that, you know, everyone on LinkedIn, if you declare you're looking for a job through the green banner, um, why is that you looked as down upon for doing so when that's the entire purpose of the platform? And mind you, on LinkedIn, not everyone is looking for love. Some people are in a committed relationship, they're employed, they're good, and other people are actively looking. And so how do you distinguish one from the other? And so LinkedIn simply made it easier to do so with this green sash. And so why penalize people for using the tools created by the platform and uh, for, for declaring what they're looking for? And also uh, recognizing that we have all been in the position of looking for work or being single, looking for love. Mm -hmm. Why do we stigmatize those looking for work? And so that was in a nutshell, the post and just attacking those underlying assumptions, which are based on negative value judgments against people who are out of work and looking for work. And who have the audacity to say they're looking for work. <laughs> hmm. It makes me think of the story of your own career that you told us at the beginning, where if you hadn't mentioned that you were potentially looking for something, some of the opportunities that you had wouldn't have popped up. So why is it so different on a platform like LinkedIn, where, like you said, it's supposed to be, that's what it's for. It's supposed to be for connecting and for helping people to find jobs. So that's a great point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So it's sort of, it aligns with personal identity, which is what we're talking about in this topic today, because your LinkedIn profile is attached to your identity that you're trying to put out to the world. When we're talking about a personal identity, in your opinion, what are we talking about? Sure. Um, identity obviously is a really complex topic, and there are several different ways to define it. But for me personally, um, I think about what is true for me or constant across time as much as that's possible across time and situation. Um, so for example, my nationality, my ethnicity, my race, um, the collection of experiences that I have gone through in my life where I've lived, um, you know, there are all these different factors that contribute to how I define my identity. Uh, through what has been my lived experience and what I've been born into, right? There are obviously things that we are born into that we can't have no control over. And these do form parts of our identity, um, whether it's, you know, our sexual orientation, um, our gender identity, identification, things like that. Those are all a part of who we are because it's how we 
express ourselves, how we interact with the outside world, how the outside world perceives us in turn, and the, the interaction of all those things. Um, and so in a nutshell, that for me is what I think when I think of identity. And for me, it's not what you do. I might be jumping ahead, but it's not what you do, which is your profession. Uh, identity for me is more so who you are. Mm-hmm. And so not a, not a lot of people that I've interacted with outside of the coaching world think too much about their identity. Um, sometimes people will call it personal branding when they're looking for a job. Do you feel like it's important for us to define our identity? Um, I think so. Uh, the more rooted we are, the easier a time we can have in navigating what life in the world throws at us. Um, if you don't have a defined identity, I think it's really easy to get swayed uh, off course in terms of what your personal goals, ambitions, and orientations are. Um, I think identity gives you a sense of of anchoring, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. and ability to have a, you know, I'm throwing all these metaphors, but kind of home-based platform from which to launch, you know, uh, cho- choose your favorite metaphor adventure right now. Um, we love metaphors. <laughs> yeah, they're fun, right? Um, but it's really just a, a way to orient yourself that allows you to uh, not not lose your way yeah uh without when people have a sense of lost identity it's a sense of loss of of direction Mm -hmm. and so that's why i think it's really important to you know define your identity um so that that you're you protect yourself from that potential loss when things in life and work happen to you and around you that makes sense totally with you there it's interesting because there are a lot of people who tie their identities to their work. And so we just, you mentioned that it's best if we can not do this. Mm-hmm. I was somebody who had done this. I was an accountant for a long time and, you know, I was an accountant. I came with these specific set of personality traits and mm-hmm. sometimes it tied with being an accountant, but I also see this with teachers. I see this with a lot of different people. So why do you think it is that we tie or some of us tie our identities so closely with work? Sure. Um, I can speak best to the United States context. It's where I lived most of my life, but I have some reference points externally as well, um, thanks to my, my experiences. Um, in the U.S. Uh, and maybe other, you know, quote unquote, Western cultures, uh, but specifically the U.S., let, let me just be clear, there's this notion of uh, living to work instead of working to live. And so if we set up a dichotomy with uh, European, some European cultures, whether you want to say the, you know, the, the French, the Italians, things, things like that, or cultures like that. Uh, in France, for example, you know, they have had a 40-hour work week or, or I think 35 even for, for years. There's a law recently passed in the last couple of years where you can't email your employees over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so there's a very clear separation of life and work and even more since separation is protection of life outside of work. And so can you imagine United States, a law being passed saying you can't email your employees over the weekend. Like, you know, people would tear their hair out, investment yeah. banking would crumble, like many industries <laughs> just wouldn't work out if that was the case. And it's because the emphasis here is on, uh, on living to work and for your work and through your work. And that's where identity seems to get tied in so much. Um, your profession defines you, uh, you know, status, class, things like that. So the difference between, you know, a janitor and, you know, a venture capitalist is that the venture capitalist is treated, you know, with the the red carpet gets rolled out, but the janitor isn't accorded what should be an equal amount of respect, despite the differences in their profession. And we can get in a whole other conversation in terms of what is valued and not valued social worker versus someone who, you know, takes risks with people's money um, and so on and so forth. Um, But, you know, uh, getting, you know, back more to your question, uh, because there's such an emphasis on, on social status and mobility that is afforded to you through your work, your identity gets wrapped up in your ability to attain and climb and do all of that. And you're judged on what you do. And so what you do is associated with who you are and how you're treated and your value. And it's just so interwoven. That's why it feels like identity is so closely tied to work in the United States context, 
versus other contexts where there might be a healthier uh, either separation or, like I said earlier, protection of, of life outside of work. That's so true. And going back to your article about the banner, that probably ties pretty closely into that, that if you're not working, your identity is now shifted. So even social, the social perceptions are placed upon you on top of your own perceptions of your identity and work. Yeah, certainly. Um, th that value piece, you have value when you have work. Um, there's a couple of comments that was really helpful uh, in response to that post. A few that brought up the fact that back in, let's say, the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, when if you were unemployed, something was wrong with you at mm -hmm. that time. Uh, because people were generally, you know, gainfully employed and they work for the same company for years until retirement and so the world and work has shifted and evolved obviously from that time but somehow that mentality is still left over uh especially in this society that if you're out of work there must be something wrong with you um and so it's about trying to dismantle that old notion that doesn't fit anymore in a world where people don't work for the same company their entire career people hop around much more often, people are more self-directed with what they want to do. Um, if we look at the, the NBA, you know, for example, when people like LeBron decided to, oh my gosh, decide where he wants to play, mm -hmm. um, people lost their minds because he wanted to take control of his career and, and, and all of that, right? And so this is the world we live in now, but there's this old notion uh, in the world of work that you uh, are only valued when employed. And again, if you're unemployed, then something, you must have done something to deserve this horrible fate and situation you find yourself in, uh, you know, to hell with any personal circumstances or market or economic circumstances that may have befallen you that cause you to be in this situation. That's really, really interesting. So it, it sounds like sort of the narrative that we've played First of all, the vision of what we sort of see as being quote unquote successful, as I use the air quotes on a podcast, mm -hmm. right, right. <laughs> the vision of what we define success to be affects the, the journeys that we all end up taking in our own ways to get to whatever we view success to be. And then we link our sort of, this is what I'm hearing. We link our ourselves, our identities, our self-perception to that pathway that we're on. And so I'm, my curious question now becomes like, if we change the vision, if we change the goalposts, if we define success a little bit differently, uh, moving away, let's just say from the idea of it being so driven on money, fame, status, et cetera, et cetera, would that maybe alleviate um, this sort of toxic, more toxic mindset that we've developed around identity and particularly identity around folks who are looking for work? Does that make sense? I think I hear you. Yeah. Um, I think that it would change things rather radically. I think we all just be happier, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, when they do, I'm not intimately familiar with, with these studies, but you know, we've all heard in the news and things like that studies about happiness and kind of life satisfaction around the world. And the United States ranks pretty poorly in terms of the happiness levels of its citizens and I think it's because of this culture that so heavily emphasizes, prioritizes, and elevates work above all else. And people are always chasing something rather than finding contentment in who they are and other areas of their life. Um, again, you know, I have a bit of experience having spent my ju a, ju a year in France, you know, in college. I was born in London. I have, you know, European friends and cousins, things like that. And there's just this different emphasis within their lives um, about how they conduct things. And it's not so strongly uh, and rigidly tied to, you know, one's profession or status mm -hmm. and things like that. It's not to say that these things are inherently negative or bad. We all would love to be financially comfortable. We all want to be successful and things like that. It's not inherently bad. It's, you know, the principle of everything in moderation. It feels like there's overemphasis, you know, in, in Western society or United States culture um, on these things. And if people had the opportunity to focus in on, you know, creating a lifestyle that enabled them to live in a way that was true to their values, true to what their priorities were, um, allow them to spend time with family, with friends, that's what actually brings happiness. You know, those societies that are happy, 
people have, and we spoke last time about this term, you know, balance. Let's mm -hmm. let's move away from balance. We've got great integration, as I shared last time, in their lives. Things feel integrated. Work fits in in a way that works for them. Mm -hmm. It allows them to have the family life, pursue their hobbies, pursue things that enrich them, you know, on a daily basis. Because work won't be that for everybody. Certainly, there are people who love what they do, and I'll never take that away from anybody. If you love what you do, that is beautiful. Go ahead and rock with it. Um, but not everyone is able to be in a situation where their work is very fulfilling for them. And so if we had a situation where people could, could find fulfillment outside of work, that would be the greatest. And then if you get fulfilled at work, that's like the cherry on top, in my opinion. Um, and so if we could, as you said, shift the goalposts and try and reimagine uh, or reprioritize what we emphasize, <laughs> then we can get to a situation where people can find a healthier way to integrate work and what that means in their lives and integrate, you know, family, friends, hobbies, whatever it is that, that, you know, you care about, that's what we should be trying to optimize for within how our societies function and how work functions ideally. Love that you just shared that. Thank you so much. That's uh it's huge food for thought for anyone who's listening to trying to figure out what is this whole career thing all about? It, it's a big, big question, uh, but you've given some people a great place to start thinking about it. Cool. So in speaking about home and, and personal identity, there are some people who separate them. So I've worked in some corporations where you have a work personality and you have a home personality. And sometimes you mm. get to see a glimpse of someone's home personality and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're like that outside of work. <laughs> um, uh -huh. What are some of the benefits though of bringing more of yourself to work? That's a great question. Um, I think, so again, there's that word integration. Um, you are disintegrated to a degree, whether by design or by the environment that you work in. If you are leaving parts of yourself at home and are being, you know, maybe one aspect or, you know, 85% of who you are when you enter the workplace. Um, I think that the challenge or the problem with doing so is that you're, your work, your colleagues, your customers, clients, what have you, are not getting the full extent of what you have to offer. And so mm -hmm. I think everyone loses, especially the individual who's going to work and leaving some of themselves at home. Um, some of the characteristics that make you dynamic in your home, that make you so fun with your kids, that make you so you know reliable or, or helpful to your friends and what have you and to, within your community, if you're leaving parts of yourself like that at home, then what is being missed out when you're in the workplace and, you know, doing what it is your vocation is, you know, on any particular day. Um, we would be, we would hope that work environments would allow for people to bring them full selves because bring their full selves to work because then the employer wins uh, and everyone wins at the end of the day. And so when people have to sacrifice that, you know, it's like, <sighs> It's, it's suboptimal, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's just a shame because it forces people to uh, not be able to express themselves to fullest extent. And then they will feel unfulfilled. Uh, their, their tenure and their time and their feelings within the workplace might suffer. They might be you know, shortened. Um, and then you know, it just, it's not a good look, for lack of a better word. That's a technical term. It's not a good look. Um, and we... I would hope that we can start thinking about that human element when it comes to work um, and thinking about, you know, creating environments that people have the space and the freedom to bring them their full selves uh, and offer that in, in their work every day. I totally agree. And I feel really strongly about this topic too, because I feel like when people are hiding or putting on a mask for their work, it, it ends up draining them. Like it's energetically, mm -hmm. it's so tough to be doing that on a daily basis for the good portion of the day. Right. And on top of that, everyone has such a unique, interesting, wholesome life to bring that, mm -hmm. like you said, by leaving any of that at home, the employer is missing out, the your colleagues are missing out and you're missing out as an individual. What are some of the challenges though that people face with bringing their identity to work? Um, where my mind immediately goes is that 
depending on what your identity, your identities are, plural, um, you may have more or less freedom to bring your full self to work. So putting a finer point on that, if you are a person of color, a black, indigenous, or person of color, BIPOC, or a woman, or of the from the LGBTQ community, you do not have the same latitude of freedom to show up as your full self in the workplace because the workplace has not created space for you that makes you feel safe to even do so. Um, if you're not, you know, to flip it, if you're not part of the majority culture, then you, to a certain degree, automatically can't show up as your full self because you don't meet those standards. You don't fit, you know, into the, the their norms, check their boxes and, and what have you. And even companies that do offer people some latitude to be, you know, unique or, or you know, individual, um, some people's ability to color outside the lines is different than other people's ability to color out the lines, mm -hmm. um, outside of the lines. Um, and so if you think about uh, hair, for example, um, in New York City, and I think in, in California, they passed these crown laws that would allow, that are for the protection of the natural hairstyles of black people. And so why should I have to get, you know, uh, legal coverage to come to work in the way that my hair naturally grows out of my head or the way that I choose to style my hair because it works for how it naturally grows out of my head. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, it's a small and big example at the same time of, you know, what it means to have to not show up as your full self if I, if you've got to think about your appearance in a way that other people don't have to. Um, very quick example from my own personal life, this isn't work-related, but I was going to a new doctor and I was thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear? I shouldn't have to think about what I'm going to wear as a doctor, but I'm thinking about how am I going to be perceived as a Black man walking into this mm -hmm. practice for the first time if I'm dressed very casually versus dressing up. So I defaulted to wearing a nice pair of jeans, some nice new boots that I got, and my pea coat, so that when I treat was I arrived at the doctor's office, I'm treated with a degree of respect, um, from the jump, just based on appearances. Um, and so you know, flipping that to the to the workplace, um, how one is able to just show up physically by appearance, uh, how they're able to show up with their personality, what's natural to them through their cultural upbringing, those things are curtailed if the employer isn't accommodating and creating space for something to show up as their full self in the workplace. Just as an add-on question, there's so many companies who are working on overcoming bias and things like that. In your opinion, what are some ways that companies have done a good job at this that you've seen? I think the companies that are doing good work and it's uh, I apologize I can't come up with a particular you know uh company name uh to, to shout out but mm -hmm. um I think it's the companies that are making change in leadership are the ones that are probably gonna do are doing and doing the best work because when it comes to corporation things really do start at the top because they've got the power to make change and have that trickle down to make an environment that's more welcoming for the employees. Um, if you say that you profess diversity, but your leadership isn't diverse, then it's just lip service. Um, and so companies are making meaningful change um, within their leadership ranks. And then that trickling down to, and that's, that's a, a challenging word sometimes, but that being reflected and executed and implemented in the recruiting practices um, and making those more inclusive um, in having meaningful diversity of all different types, you know, like intellectual, uh, sexual orientation, all those different things. When companies are, you know, actually walking the walk, it's going to be reflected in the workforce because the, here, here's the, here, here it is. P people who are come from diverse, you know, backgrounds are staying and having successful careers uh, in those companies and moving up and progressing in the ranks. The leadership is reflective of that and the way the company uh, looks on the day-to-day -day is reflective of that because the environment is open, inclusive, and, and welcoming to diverse people. And so they're going there, they're telling their friends about it, their colleagues about it, and people are staying. If companies look like that, that to me is the best measure of them making things more inclusive and doing good work in this space. And I think that a lot of companies are, are starting off with a 
diversity, equity, and inclusion department, which I think is a good start. But it also, I've had a lot of conversations with people where it's important not to just have somebody in that role, but just like you're saying, it's leadership as a whole. It's not one department. It's coming down from the top and hitting every department. Yeah, it, it's meaningful change. It's you know putting actions behind the diversity statements uh, between the you know once yearly Black History Month you know uh, celebrations and all of that. It's actually walking the walk, you know, and making things happen. That's what's going to reflect to the outside world and say that, hey, you're serious about this. It's not just, you know, because it, it's hot right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna take this one step further and uh, start to like push a little bit as far as being, you know, I'm, I'm the white straight guy in the conversation. And to me, progress, because I just finished reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And so I'm just like, completely sucked into the idea of trying to better understand white identity um, and, and the role that white people have played in creating the system of oppression that we've talked about actually on a previous episode. I think it was episode 38, which I highly recommend, um, is around the idea that basically moving forward and creating a more diverse and inclusive work environment means letting go of white dominant culture to a large extent, which I know is a really difficult thing to say for a lot of people. It's uncomfortable for white people to say that. And it's often dangerous for people of color to really come out and, and profess that in such an open way. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go out and, and be like that white guy that's hoping to push other white guys to realize that, <laughs> right? That's, uh, that's the goal here. Um, mm-hmm. Because until we kind of wind down and away from white dominant male culture uh that that's the biggest blocker in my opinion to seeing further progress in this conversation i'll push that back over to you too if you want to weigh in on that yeah um uh white supremacy is a hell of a drug (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure if you're a Chappelle show fan and and all of that but you know just just pulling that reference there um but you know patriarchy white supremacy these are two very challenging and dangerous forces that have brought a lot of suffering to you know uh people of color and women um and it's really important and 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 to men as well quite frankly um Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. we have to recognize that uh men lose out and white people lose out from white supremacy it makes the world uh, a worse place to live in um, for everyone involved. Um, and I think that it's really great, you know, to, to hear you and have you acknowledge that and put that out there um, because the messenger matters and having that message come from you has a different impact than it does coming from me. Um, and so just, you know, thank you for sharing. I hope you continue to push that forward in, in many different conversations and contexts. Um, I, I think that in recognizing the role that white people play, it's not, you know, about guilt. It's about, okay, what can we do to make things better? What's mm-hmm. possible? And so I think it's much more productive to talk in, in that um, uh, way, because if you've done any sort of research or reading or have paid any attention, you know what the history is. You have an idea what the history is. And it's important to hold on to that. It's a reference point that will serve as the basis for change. But what can we do to move forward um, and, and, you know, move past this, this fear of, of loss and into how can everyone, you know, gain? Because I think white mm-hmm. people don't realize that they win too when they can let go of white supremacy and whiteness and embrace a diverse, you know, society and culture and, <clears throat> and learn and grow from it and learn and grow from one, one another. Um, and if we can get into that, not deficit mindset, but, you know, uh, a mindshare mindset, which is a mm-hmm. term that I, I learned recently, uh, then we can have a much more positive view in that we all gain by progressing, you know, together and making things more equitable. Um, it's just better for everyone. Totally. Agreed. Yeah. Moving past the, the guilt, as you were talking about, which tends to lead to inaction, to something, a mindset more of responsibility, caring, compassion, and then abundance. And let's see how we can make something that benefits everybody. So 
Yeah, that's really well put. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So Nia too, uh, you've been a guest on our show before and the, our last episode that we did together, we actually did not have time. We didn't want to put the focus on this uh, particular set of questions that we actually try and ask of all of our guests that come on the show. Mm-hmm. So a question for you is what is the most fun you've had in your career? Um, right now, <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be really quite honest. Um, so as you guys might know, I recently got this really amazing honor um, uh, through jobscan.com featured as one of the top um, job experts to follow on LinkedIn. Um, and it was just such a amazing, uh, unexpected uh, thing that came my way. Um, I'm learning to embrace it. If you hear me, I'm leaning into talking about it, which is, you know, something I'm, I'm working on <laughs> and not being shy about it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, and it's, it's this culmination of two years of grinding, writing content on LinkedIn and, and my blog and getting to a point where people like, I like what you're saying. And it's really encouraging. It's super validating. Um, and when I'm having, and so it's just really great that, um, I'm getting to do something I enjoy, which is writing. Um, my father uh, is a journal. He's an editor uh, professionally right now, a freelance editor, but he was a journalist uh, throughout my childhood um, uh, up until you know a few years ago he switched. Well, he's been a journalist and editor to be clear his entire career. Um, and so it's kind of cool in that I am the apple not falling far yeah. from the tree. And I now too am making my living through writing, which I never would have anticipated, you know, if you asked me even five years ago. Um, and so that's kind of cool having this connection to my dad now. And I'll never forget, you know, him reading a couple of articles and he wrote back once was like, I'm convinced. And I just felt so parental approval. Like you, you don't really like how much you need until you get it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, that was super dope. Uh, you know, when, when I got that comment from my dad, but I also just feel really alive when I am working with clients in our coaching sessions. Um, when I help them, you know, reframe something that felt like a block for them, help them see a connection that they didn't see for themselves. Um, when they feel more confident as the result of me rewriting their resumes for them and just really seeing, oh my gosh, yes, I did that. I did all these cool things and I can now confidently go out into the world and get a new job. Uh, those things really, you know, light me up and I get to do that on a daily basis right now, that one-to-one interaction um, whether it's a consultation call, a coaching call, or diving deep in someone's story to rewrite their LinkedIn or, or their resume, um, I have a lot of fun putting words together that help someone tell their story, you know, even better, and will help them hopefully achieve, you know, their next step in their career advancement. Uh, right now, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm trying to lean into my business um, as a career coach, and just feeling really good and getting some external validation never hurts. <laughs> um, and so I'm grateful to have that. That's going to spur me and motivate me on to keep on doing you know, better and better, learning, growing more. So cool. Yeah, it's, it's been neat. I just, since the last time we spoke to you on this show, there's been all kinds of growth for you personally, professionally. It's super cool to see that. And that's, that's what building a career is, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is this is the lesson, you know, Uh, there's no such thing as overnight success. People grind for years until, Mm -hmm. you know, they're quote unquote discovered, but they've sort of always been there, you know, not trying to say I've always been here. But, you know, I started this two years ago and it's been two years of writing and putting myself out there. And, you know, it's really it's finally starting to to kick over into that net that next phase, which is really, really cool. It's awesome. Cool. Having talked about that, what would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did that turn out? Uh, starting this business. Yeah. <laughs> um, instead of going back to look, you know, for the safety of a full-time job, um, there's nothing, there are few things I've done that are scarier or riskier than, you know, starting a business because, you know, many businesses fail. I don't know what the failure rates are of solo businesses or, you know, being a solopreneur. Um, cause it's not like there is a shortage of career coaches out there. There are a lot of people who do what we do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate that, uh, this risk, you know, is starting to pay off and that I'm able to deliver value and people are, uh, open to the prospect of working with me, engaging with me, collaborating with me. I'm really grateful for that. 
Um, and it was really scary getting this started uh, and not knowing if anyone was going to want me what I have to offer. That felt scary at the beginning mm-hmm. of all of this. And that, that's a big risk. Cool. I bet a lot of people can probably learn just how, yeah, hearing your story of starting out in self-doubt sounds like that kind of creeps in at that point and then realizing eventually uh, after you've done a lot of work that there is a lot to be gained from not just you but if you're someone who's listening to this it's like your work actually does have meaning and value and and people will see it if you if you quit on yourself then you don't realize that but I just appreciate the way you framed all that so very cool and it's just to add on to that it's the breadcrumbs too because yeah you've been doing this for the last two years but the additional experience that you had was leading to this even if you didn't see it yeah exactly and thank you for adding that on Lisa that's so true um as I shared earlier on I have been the creative development space for it's 10 years now I graduated in 2011 from grad school so it is a decade you know in this field um at, at large and everything that I've been through, including a bit of, a little bit of experience in recruiting, a bit of experience in learning development, uh, they all feed into what I'm able to offer today. And so we, we can't ever discount what we've been through. It's about trying to connect those threads and saying, okay, what can I use this to do now? Um, and what, does, what unique abilities, what unique perspectives, uh, what unique you know, flavor can I bring because of what I've been through, um, not despite it, but because of it, and then trying to find a way to package that, you know, and offer it to the world in your profession or in your solo, you know, enterprise or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I mean, all these things prepared me for what I have to offer today. And for those listening, you know, everything that you've been through has prepared you for what it is you want to do next. It's just about looking inside and figuring out how to tell that story and finding people who that story resonates with, who want you for those things you offer. And anyone else who doesn't want it, forget them. Just like keep on looking for where that alignment is and you know, you, you'll find it eventually. And that's sort of a perfect bow on this episode of saying you know, your identity is everything that you just mentioned. And the more that you can bring that forward and identify your identity, um, the, the better off you'll be and the better off you're, or the easier it is for you to create those next steps. Yeah, that, that's really, really great. I feel, you know, like really, in just having this conversation, I'm, I'm an extrovert, self-confessed. Um, I enjoy just doing this literally. Um, but as, as far as, you know, my, my work right now, I really hope that people can get into positions that get as close as possible mm-hmm. to their ideal. I'm not going to sell anyone on notion of perfection, um, but we're trying to reach towards an ideal and figuring out what that is for yourself is really powerful. And I feel, you know, alive in this conversation. I feel alive in my work. And it's such a dope feeling to have when you're doing something. And we'd all love to do work that we would want to do, even if we weren't being paid. You know, um, yeah. not all of us are, are blessed to be financially well off to just go and pursue you know, I want to make origami for the rest of my life because <laughs> I'm interested in it. Uh, we can't all do that. But, you know, um, if we just you know, sort of realize that, you know, we, we, are, the, we are more than some of our, our, our parts and experiences and, and figuring out what that leads you towards and what lights you up, what motivates you, how can you find it or as much of it as possible and, and go for it, you know, as far as what you do professionally uh, which doesn't have to be your entire life. And if you can't find it professionally, what can you do outside of work that will also light you up and, and, and integrate with, you know, what your work looks like. Absolutely. You've shared so many amazing insights with us and advice and, and things that will be so beneficial to our listeners. What would you say is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? Um, this is not advice I received directly, but something I heard on a podcast recently. Um, I don't know if you guys know uh, Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Uh, she used to be on Pod Save the People, uh, that, oh, that yeah. podcast, yeah. and she now has her own podcast um, called, um, Un- I think it's Undeterred or Undisturbed. I- my wife would kill me for not having the name properly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were, I was listening uh, to it with my wife the other day, and she had uh, Ayanna Presley, uh, the congresswoman, you know, uh, as the guest on her show. And she had this quote 
that said says uh, I'm not here to take up to occupy space. I'm here to create space. Um, and that is something that really stuck with me. And I'm probably going to write something about it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, relatively soon. Um, but the way that I internalize that is that we are ideally not here, as it says, to occupy and just take up space, but to make a difference and to open things up, you know, for ourselves and others. That's how I see creating space. And so that might look different to different people, but creating space could be doing your best within your job duties that will benefit your customers, your clients, your colleagues, your bosses, what have you. Uh, creating space could be pulling those up people in from behind you to give them the opportunities that you had. Uh, creating space could be, uh, you know, pulling aside, uh, you know, someone who cut somebody off in a meeting and saying, hey, don't cut off, you know, don't cut off a woman, don't cut off a person of color or what have you mm -hmm. in a meeting because you feel you got something to say. There's so many different ways that we can define creating space. I think it's about figuring out what that looks like for you and using your influence, your talents, your uh, motivations and passions to help others do better, be better, achieve better. And so that's kind of what really stuck with me from that. And I think we can all find ways to, to do that in the work that we do and in different areas in our day-to-day -day lives. So let's not occupy space, let's create space. That's the piece of advice that I'm running with right now from a podcast I heard like three days ago. <laughs> awesome. And feel free to send us the name of that and we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Totally. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. So where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, sure. So uh, I kind of like all three of us, I guess, live on LinkedIn. Uh, so please uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, Niatu Bensiential. Uh, N-I-I-A-T-O is how you spell my first name. Uh, I'm the only one, so you will find me. <laughs> Love it. Um, so just look in the show notes for the spelling of my name. Um, I'm also on uh, Instagram at Avenir Careers. Um, my website is avenircareers.com. Um, I'm really bad at Twitter. I'm on there, but you're not going to find much there. Um, so your best bet is going to be uh, LinkedIn for sure. I'm there on a daily basis. Uh, and then Instagram, I'm also getting better. I think in words, not in pictures. And so, you know, I'm going to have to work on growing my social media presence outside of LinkedIn. Awesome. Cool. We will definitely point our listeners to those different avenues that they can reach you. It has been such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'd love to come back when as often as you'd like, as often cool. as you have me. Love it. Uh, let's call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Check out Niatu, Bensi, and Jill. He's doing some amazing things. Avenue Careers. We hope you're well. We hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Career Builders podcast. Do you know someone who takes their career seriously and would appreciate the show? Why not share it with them? You'll help your friend with their career development while helping us spread the message of TCBP. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks for your support, and we'll catch you again next week.